Well, it's five days till six days in the home. A six-day virtual race that I'm putting on in replace of cross year six-day, which is not happening. And boy, today, man, it was one of those days where definitely routine Trump's motivation got out the door. It was a lot warmer than it was yesterday, but man, I just was super slow, sluggish. Ended up powering through a 10K and got into the top 20 on my training peaks. But looking at training peaks, I definitely my fatigue is up. Um, and also my form is way down. And so it's time to kind of back off a bit because we're doing that six-day race starting Monday. Been thinking about it, talking to Scott. I have no idea how much I'm going to do. I guess 100 miles is a goal. 200 miles would be nice. I did sign up for the Snowdrop 55-hour. Um, but I'm supposed to try, you know, and you just do whatever you want. So I'm going to try and do... I don't know what, but it's, I'm going to start that on the same time as I do the six-day race. In fact, if you want to join us, it's in the show notes for the six days in the home. And you can double dip. Scott's going to be doing a 48-hour treadmill event, of course, where he lives. He's in the frozen tundra up in the great white north of Canada. So he'll definitely be doing, I imagine, all of his miles indoors. I'll probably be doing a combination of both. But it was interesting. I was looking at it, and I was thinking, wow, you know, even if I did somehow manage to do 100 miles in 55 hours, which I didn't do last year when I went to uh, Houston to do the snow drop, I got sick and dropped out of 75 miles, about 30 hours into the race. But if I even imagined to get to 155 hours, I was telling Scott, I said, yeah, you still got to do, you know, um, you know, 100 miles in the next four days, which is basically a marathon a day. So that's the brutality of multi-day racing. It doesn't ever get easy. I was counting up six days that I've done, and I've done eight of them, I guess. Two were good. Two times across the years, I did 322 and 315. Another across the years, the last time I was there, I did somewhere under you know, 250, 260, I'm not sure. And then one year, I had a meltdown, and after four days, went home, got over 200. And then one year, I got injured 50, 60 miles in, just bad blistering and all kinds of stuff when they had the rocks out there and I got the 200 and stopped with a day to go so those were actually four day and five days and then I went to the dome had an okay race there didn't get the 300 at Alaska well, I didn't have an okay race I destroyed my legs because that was so damn hard it's there and then last summer of course I went to um, the dome in uh, Wisconsin everything was paid for I wouldn't have gone and it was just a disaster. I watched my friends Anthony Culpepper and Yolanda Holder become um, 94th and 95th person to do 100 miles in 24 hours walking. And then I just packed it up and went home because I could fly home and they didn't charge me anything. So I didn't even get 100K. And then, of course, I did a solo six-day, which I'm attempting coming up. And I did 211 miles, the distance of John Muir Trail. And uh, that was in 2013. So this one, you know, 100 doable. 200 should be doable so who knows what's going on it's kind of funny that it's just so much in my head more than physical it's just do i want to spend 16 17 hours walking every day and then i thought about it and i have so many friends who you know the highlight of their summer is training and i've helped them do the john muir trail the pct and uh, the high sierra trail and you know then they're out there for four or five days or you know on the high sierra four or five days and uh john muir trail you know it's anywhere from seven days that joel did it in to 21 days and when you think about it you know a lot of times you're out there you get up in the morning and you walk for 12 to 16 hours you know 12 hours a day and you don't think anything of it and lots of just you know everyday people can get out there and do it so i just need to really wrap my head around it 
and I'll try my best, but you know, that's the way, that's one of the reasons we do these things to challenge ourselves and see if we can do it. At least this one will be cheap. You know, I get to do it right from my house. Got a couple loops going and I definitely, if you ever do one of these things, definitely have something set up that's easy to do and safe to do. So today was a long sustained 70 minute LSD record, LSD record, LSD workout. Um, you know, like I said, it felt just like two left feet, but got it done and jumped in the car, did some door dashing. It's funny, I've been doing a bunch of these crumble cookie orders. And what's interesting with those, you know, they pay pretty good, been doing really well money-wise, but you're delivering to people who don't expect to get a delivery. And then during COVID, it's even weirder. And, you know, like sometimes you're like, well, do I leave it at the door? But then they don't get notification or the thing says knock on the door. And these people are like, who's this stranger delivering, knocking on my door during COVID? So very, very strange times. And then I finished up the day with jumping on the Swift and doing one of their 10K to cyclist workouts. And now I'm doing this podcast video and then going to watch some more Yellowstone. Been enjoying that. It's a pretty good show. Now on to some endurance news and random musings. Greg McMillan, who I was like, he retweeted this. It says, never underestimate the power that one good workout can have on your mind. Keeping the dream alive is half the battle. And that was by Kara Goucher. Now, of course, um, <laughs> today was definitely not a good workout. But even the poor workouts, you know, have their benefits. You know, just soldier through. In fact, tomorrow's workout, which you can get. My winter winter, winter training plan is there's a link in it. You can get it through Training Peaks. I'm doing a warm-up, then four times, two minutes with one minute easy. And this is just adding some speed into my winter program. It's kind of my little off-season. On with some news. Um, today in Karma News, Rebecca's... Re Rebecca's man, I can't talk. Reebok's uh, Maddie Heron and Sakani's Drody pushed Alberto Salazar out of the U.S. men's all-time top ten in the marathon. Yep, those both guys this past weekend pushed uh, Nike's guy Alberto Salazar out of the top ten all-time marathons. Um, the winner of the race was the fifth American to be the sub four club and sub ten club. Joining Greg Meyer um, was the first one. Ken Martin, Alan Culpepper, and Gallon Rupp. So there's only been five americans have gone sub four in the mile and then sub 210 in the marathon pretty impressive feats speaking of mile races or well i don't know why but it's always the 1500 um this past summer there was a world record by the americans in the four by 1500 and they did 1627 the women did and it was kara schweitzer shelley Houlihan and uh, steeple squigs and eliza cranny in portland on july 31st has been ratified um, Eliza Cranny has a Bakersfield connection. Her uh, grandfather, step-grandfather, Bob Moses, is here in Bakersfield. And so I followed her career throughout high school, college, and she's doing really well. She ran a really fast 5K this year, so that was good news for her. Not everyone had good races this past Saturday, but Stephanie Rosenstein, I like following her. She says, when you experience the highs and lows of our sport, you can generally be happy for the success of others when you're down because you know there's risk-reward in training on the edge and someone's performance doesn't always come out come at your at the expense of yours iron fire tweeted that the world mountain running championships and the trail running world championships are scheduled to merge in thailand in november 2021 so hopefully that will happen some more stuff from the uh marathon project this past weekend chris chavez did an interview and it says after chicago i said i'm arrived in an arena of my marathon potential but i feel still feel like i'm sitting in the nosebleeds i like to think i prove myself as a competitor beyond just being the puke guy or the beer drinking guy said i built the ark of course he's the guy that came in second this past weekend and um, more about that in a bit so it's just fully um he's definitely stepped up and it's kind of quite a few guys have and um speaking of that you know there's kind of some thoughts that let's run had 
that 209 isn't 209 anymore, especially with the shoes. And Des Linden, one of the probably the one thing she said during the pot, the uh, simulcasters, you know, more of our ladies need to join that 219 club, and that's definitely the case. Um, of course, you know, the ma marathon project was a passing success with all the majors um, canceled or delayed. It was great that uh, Hoka Nazalit, Ben Rosero, and the agent Josh Cox put together this race. And, um, you know, it was perfect conditions, great weather, great pacing, and very impressive to watch it. Of course, you know, watching the NBC coverage, they still can't ever get it right. And it's just uh, so annoying to have that. I mean, yeah, at least they had the split screen through most of it. But I would really have liked them to show all the athletes um, finishing up, you know, especially since we had seven Americans get under 210. Why not show them? But they kind of cut from that. But that's the way it says. Like I said, Des Lennon saying that more women hopefully will start running faster. Um, some of the men in the Sunday race made some really great improvements since their college days. Of course, Noah Drody, who I was quoting on there, he's the guy that at the finish threw up. He's now 30. He ran 209.09, but in college his PR was 14.36 for the 5K and 29.41. So he's definitely made a big improvement. Ian Butler, 29 years old, 209.45. His PB was 14.46. 2949 so there's definitely some success there and hopefully um, we will see more and more um, runners going faster and faster because they definitely got to catch up to the rest of the world where you know they're all you know under 202 203 I mean you got to run 205 to even do fairly well in these races I am fortunate that I have a safe place to train my neighborhood's pretty relatively quiet plus I'm only about three tenths of a mile from a bike path that goes in both directions goes like 16 miles one way and five or six the other way so i don't have to deal with cars except lately we've been having more and more motorized vehicles on our bike path scooters motorcycles even cars i mean you have the city cars but lately unfortunately the urban outdoorsmen have been growing in population i think now there's actually people out there who truly are homeless and then just living out there and they're starting to drive their cars into the onto the bike path like commuting to work and so it's definitely a problem. And, you know, I also go out and drive Monday through Thursday for a few hours doing DoorDash. And, you know, and there's so many distracted drivers. And when I do walk in the streets or a lot of DoorDashing, I'm amazed no one ever uses their turn signals anymore. I just don't understand. I use mine religiously. I want people to know where I'm going. I don't know what it is, but people just don't use it. And sadly, um, there was an article that, you know, it was kind of bad news, but Outside Magazine tracked every cyclist who was killed by a driver this year and and uh put out on our, on their website and you know it's kind of like one new york cyclist said it's not and if i get hit it's but when and that's definitely the case um i gave up cycling i've got my bike sitting there behind me but i ride it occasionally on the bike path only but mainly just ride it indoors like i did this evening doing my smart wood workout where i was doing you know 10 times 400 meters and then sit-ups in between but i've lost half a dozen people over the past few years two uh, cars running them over on their bikes and uh it's just a terrible tragedy and you often know other people that have had it happen to too it's commonplace and so this article it says in 1987 857 people on bikes were killed by drivers in the u.s it's the deadliest year for cyclists and pedestrians on american roads since 1990 and it wasn't an anomaly cycling fatalities have been on the rise since 2010 while driver and passenger fatalities have reached all-time lows in 2020, even as COVID drastically cuts down on car traffic, cyclist death toll is still mounting. And there was an article I talked about months ago that Outside put down that it like 
part of the problem is just the speeding besides you know the cell phones and all that kind of stuff but it said that if we just slow down five miles an hour fatalities would drop by a large percentage so you know pay attention out there you know watch for cyclists watch for pedestrians and just you know nothing you need to get there in that big a hurry you know and also it's kind of like just leave earlier or don't drive your car at all uh, of course you know i live in california where car is king so as always stay healthy be boring not epic